If you've been here the last few weeks, you know we are going through this season, really, of growth as a church in so many ways. It's been, I think, a year, a couple years of tremendous depth, growth in our relationships with one another, growth through suffering, perseverance, um, and but also all, all of our, for the, really for the first time ever, at Awaken since we started, all our home groups are growing. We don't have a whole lot of space here on Sunday nights, and so we've just been praying for wisdom, um, what the Lord would have us do as a, as a next step. Should we do something like crazy with this building to accommodate more? Should we try to move somewhere else? Um, or should we look to some kind of multiplication? Um, and we're, we're keeping that intentionally vague because um, really we are, as pastors and leaders, we just, and, and um, for all of us as a church, we want to be praying for wisdom from the Lord, that he would open up the right door so that we could, as a church, be fruitful for his kingdom, as fruit, fruitful as we could possibly be. So we've been praying together um, and asking you all to pray, and I just want to ask you to pray now, uh, to get with a couple people and just pray that the Lord would open up the right door, that he would provide for us, and uh, also that he'd provide wisdom and, and direction for us. So take a few minutes to do that, and then we'll get into 1 Corinthians 15 tonight.
Lord, we thank you, um, God, that you are a God who's moving all over the world, and you're moving in our midst, you're moving in our lives, Lord, you're moving in this city, God, and, and we want to be a part of what you're doing, God. We want to join you, Lord, and be obedient to the Great Commission to make disciples, Lord. Um, God, we want to be people who preach the gospel, Lord, and who see uh, one's pass from death to life, and, and um, God, we want our church to grow, God, as people engage with you and people come to know you, Lord. We pray that you would help every single person, every single person in here, Lord, to be uh, truly living for you, God, to be using the gifts that you've given them. Um, God, we, we, we ask that you would make us more and more a, a church, a local church, Lord, um, God, that is filled with people that are in love with you, Lord, and that are serving you, God, and serving one another. And as that happens, Lord, obviously, um, this, this local church has grown, God, and we pray for wisdom and direction, that you would open up the right door, that you'd provide everything we need, Lord, that you would help us to um, just be clear-headed and make good decisions and ultimately be just effective um, in our service towards you and our love for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, it's exciting times here. It really is. And man, it's so bright. I feel happy. A couple of weeks ago, I just, yeah, I wanted to fall asleep during the message. Um, it was just so dark and dank and terrible, but this is fun. Um, you know, if you're in any, you know, if you've experienced coming to Christ, particularly if you're, you don't, you don't have a Christian background, really, you know, you can be, um, basically if you're in any church that cares at all, uh, about like the things of, of the Lord, you're going to, at some point, are you, in, are you in a cult? Who's, who's, who's ever been asked that before? Wow. That is somewhat frightening. Um. <laughs> I've never, I've never once considered Awaken or uh, Great Commission churches or Linworth Road Church where I came to Christ. The, the, the thought has never actually truly crossed my mind. Is this a cult? You guys, where am I going with this? Oh, my gosh. Until a conversation I was having with my daughter, Aria, the other day. Um, we've been talking a lot about, <clears throat> I mean, I really, like day after day after day after day, try and tell my kids Jesus died for your sins, and he rose from the dead. Like, he really rose from the dead, and he's coming back. He's going to resurrect the dead, and uh, those in Christ will live with him forever. And so we're just preaching the gospel day after day, all kinds of stories, all that. The other day, Aria, I, I wish I could remember the exact wording, because it really was more extreme than I'm going to make it sound right now. But uh, she was just saying, Daddy, can I die? I want to die right now. <laughs> um, like, wait, Aria, what? I want to die. I want to meet Jesus right now. I get to, I can see him if I die. And uh, I think we said, well, then you wouldn't be able to be with us. We've got lots of things. So, oh, no, no, no. We can all die right now. Let's do it. <laughs> Man. We've got the makings of a serious cult leader on our hands. So, parents, as you talk to your kids about these things that we've been in, you, you know, there's lots of interesting moments. All right, anyways, uh, what have we been talking about? The last four or five weeks, we've been going through this biblical theme, the day of the Lord. These times in history where God comes with both judgment and salvation. We see it over, from the very, very, from the creation story. And when sin first entered into the world, we see it there, God bring judgment and salvation. We see it over and over throughout the Old Testament 
alluding to this future, ultimate, capital D, day of the Lord, um, this cataclysmic event which will usher in the end of human history. And so uh, we, we went through the writings of some Old Testament prophets. We uh, talked about Jesus' teaching on the Mount of Olives called the Olivet Discourse, where he was talking about kind of this lowercase D, day of the Lord, where God was going to come and, and destroy the system of temple worship at the time, and really the entire way of life um, of the Jewish people at the time. But then he turned definitively in his teaching and started talking about the end of the age, uh, this end of time event. And then last week, um, we started talking through Paul's writings. We were in 1 Thessalonians and Romans 8, some monumental passages talking about the hope we have, the expectation we should have uh, as believers in Jesus Christ. Um, and then tonight, we're going to get into 1 Corinthians 15, which I think is a seminal passage in the New Testament on our future hope, and it is just awesome. I mean, it is awesome. I, I hope that every single person in here, every single person, 1 Corinthians 15, if it's not already, becomes just this, um, this uh, chapter, really, that brings you life for the rest of your life, that no one would ever have to remind you of what's contained in this chapter but you would know it in your mind and with your heart. So it really, that's going to come more, much more than during just hearing a message from me, spending time in the word of God, in this passage, meditating on the promises we have in Christ that are so, so incredible. Um, so I want to just give a little bit of background of 1 Corinthians. Um, Paul's writing this letter, letter to a church in Corinth, and they were into some pretty crazy stuff. I mean, they had wild, wild sin in the church, um, stuff that's hard to imagine, being praised in some ways. But then also, this same crowd was over-spiritualizing everything. Um, there was this, maybe some of you have heard this term before, Gnosticism. There was really this early form of Gnosticism that started to penetrate the church there in Corinth where the physical is wrong and evil and bad. Like our bodies, they're just garbage. They're trash. They're 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 not even neutral. They're they're actually less than worthless. They're evil. But our spirit is good. Flesh is bad. Spirit's good. Um, but yet the result of that was that well, if my body doesn't really matter, I can kind of do whatever I want with my body. It's just my body. That's, do, that's sleeping with prostitutes, that's committing incest, that's doing this and that. That's just my body. My spirit's gold. My spirit's good. And so this is the kind of thinking that was in the Corinthian church. Uh, and the Apostle Paul, uh, who helped start this church, not, was not too stoked about it. Um, <clears throat> so um, with that, some were teaching and believing that Jesus did not physically rise from the dead because a physical resurrection is kind of like kind of yucky. That's not something God would do. God is spiritual, not physical. Um, and so they were teaching against the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15, where we're going to get to tonight, it is the whole book is leading, is leading up to this climax, this point where Paul like reaches the pinnacle of his argument. We see early on in 1 Corinthians that 
not only were some people believing that the physical was all bad and the spiritual was all good, they were over-spiritualizing everything, arrogant, filled with pride, abusing others. Um, they also had just moved away from the simple gospel. Like we've moved on from Christianity 1.0 where this is all about you know the bodily resurrection from the dead and we've moved into this different place where we're into some really cool, neat stuff. Um, and so Paul is rebuking that and, and then in 1 Corinthians 15, he really, really gets to the point. Okay, so we're going to jump in here. 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to go through the entire chapter tonight. It's a super long chapter. Um, it's just so good. So good. So turn there in your Bibles. Get, get a Bible. Break a Bible open. Get one from the pew. Look it up on your phone, whatever. Verses aren't on the screen. There's so much that you definitely want to be, I think, following along in an actual Bible here, if at all possible. And it is possible, actually, because we're in a church. There's lots of Bibles. Um, okay, Lord, I, I pray that you would um, just open up our hearts, open up our eyes to your word, to understand it, to be transformed by it, to submit to it, um, to really get it, God. I pray that we would really get it. None of this would go one, in, one out, in, in one ear and out the other, Lord, but it would transform our hearts and our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to read uh, the first 11 verses here. <clears throat> now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. He's reminding them of the simplicity of the gospel message. Let me move my stuff around here real quick. Jesus' death for our sins, so verse uh, 5 here, or I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse 3. First importance, Christ died for our sins. He was buried and raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Jesus' death for our sins and his resurrection from the dead are the cornerstone of the Christian worldview. This is quite literally the most important knowledge that a human being can have, that Jesus died for their sins and rose from the dead. Um, and this is a truth that can radically transform our lives. That's why God's given us this job of spreading to the world, to all the nations, to those in our city, to those outside of our city, to those in countries that speak English and those that don't, this message that Jesus has died for their sins and he rose from the dead conquering death 
once and for all. In verses 3 through 5 here, um, and I'm going to struggle to not spend too much time in just in this passage because it's, it's so cool. Um, so 3 through 5, I'll, I'll read that again here. For what I received, this is Paul writing to the Corinthians, what I received I pass on to you as of first importance. Okay. He then recites this early Christian creed. This is like the earliest known creed in existence. Um, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Um, this, <clears throat> even the most liberal New Testament historian, like if you've taken a New Testament class at Ohio State, the one who writes your textbook is a guy named Bart Ehrman. He's not a Christian. He's very, he's, he studied under Christians, but he's very antagonistic towards Christianity. He's an atheist. Uh, not, not, uh, he's not fond of the Christian worldview. Um, and yet, Bart Ehrman would unequivocally agree that this passage is what Paul received on his first trip to Jerusalem just a few years after the death and supposed resurrection of Jesus. This is very, very, very early. First Corinthians was, was written a little bit later. It was still written very early by Paul. But this passage right here in 3 through 5 that Paul repeats, um, this is not his own writing. He's just reciting what was available, what was around, what was memorized, what was the foundation for the growth of the church in the first century. He's just repeating that, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And he was raised from the dead on the third day, and he appeared to these people. Um, this proclamation of Jesus' death and resurrection is what propelled this incredible growth of the first century church. It wasn't, um, it wasn't anything special in the ministry or tactic of the church or some incredible, awesome, wonderful thing they were doing. It was the proclamation of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This changed the way people thought about the world. It changed everything about their lives. When they encountered this gospel message and they accepted it and received it, they were transformed. Um, so I say this because this, it's good to know this passage and be comfortable with it, and you could spend a lot of time looking into it. Um, but really, it just it destroys any argument that the idea of Jesus' resurrection was some later myth that people who thought Jesus was super cool, you know, the game of telephone, and just eventually, yeah, Jesus was awesome, he's great, he's powerful, and then like 50 years later, oh, also he rose from the dead. That's not what happens. Um, from the very beginning, eyewitnesses were claiming and literally staking their lives, spending their lives on the claim that they, with their own eyes, encountered Jesus risen from the dead. It's absolutely amazing. And there's nothing else like that in any kind of religious system or worldview. I just want you to know that. Okay. Um, so I have a, just a couple questions, I think, that the way we answer these questions, it's revealing in terms of where we're at with the Lord, I think. And it's helpful in the way we interact with others. As well. So, what is the foundation of the Christian faith? What is the foundation of it? Oftentimes, people think it's a set of principles or rules to live by. Um, 
it's a, it's a culture, it's a, you know, a building. Um, people have all kinds of ideas, but the foundation of the Christian faith is the person, Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. This is the foundation of what we believe as Christians. It is the person, Jesus Christ. Not the, it's not the teaching. It's the person, Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection, what he himself has done to bring us to God. How can someone receive mercy after death? The person, Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. What gives you hope in the midst of suffering? The person, Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection from the dead. Why do you serve? Why do you love others? Why do you help others? Why do you serve in the church? The person, Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. What's your life about? The the person, Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. What gets you through the day? The person, Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. This should be our foundational answer for all, all the important questions in life. The person, Jesus Christ, his death and his resurrection. I think questions like this can be revealing of just where we're at. Are we sold on religion? Are we sold on the church? Are we sold on a pastor uh, or the information or the teaching? Or are we sold on the person, Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection? Um, It's helpful, I think, for us to consider in terms of our motivation, why we do the things we do, why we think the things we think. And it's very, very helpful when you're engaging with people who don't know Christ or who may not know Christ. Because you can ask a lot of questions And people will give very Christian-sounding answers. But at the end of the day, um, bringing bringing a gospel conversation back to, over and over again, back to the person of Jesus Christ. Are we going to lead people to Christ by convincing them of a political view or some random, like, theological viewpoint that doesn't matter that much? No, (laughs) we're not. Bringing conversations back to the person of Jesus Christ is so, so essential. And so the, the question just to you, who is Jesus, um, is a question I've, I've asked a million times over the years. And, and it helps bring focus in a conversation that, you know, maybe we're talking about spiritual things. We're all over the place. Um, well, who do you think Jesus is? And then do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead physically? Not in some ethereal sense, but do you believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead? So bringing a conversation back to those things is imperative because it is impossible to be a Christian without believing in these things. Um, can't be a Christian if you don't believe that Jesus physically rose from the dead. I'm, I'm not saying you can't have doubts, but you have to believe in such a way that you have put your trust, you've put your life on the line, you've put all your chips on the table that Jesus physically rose from the dead. Uh, He died for our sins, and he physically rose from the dead. You've submitted your life to Jesus uh, as a result of his vindication through the resurrection. That's what being a a Christian is. Um, Okay, let's keep moving here. Um, I don't want to get too carried away. Okay, 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? 
If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Um, so Paul's saying the same thing in a lot of different ways here. Like you cannot say that the resurrection of the dead in general is not, is not cool. And that's what, remember, the, there were those in the Corinthians church that were saying um, physical resurrection, not cool, not a good thing. Not what God's going to do. That's not his MO. Physical is bad. Paul's saying you can't say that because that means Jesus didn't raise from the dead. Um, so basically, Paul's saying it is, it is cool. This is awesome. This is true. It's necessary. Um, and if you false teachers in Corinth and those who are being influenced by them, if you're right, we as apostles are liars the eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection, we're, we're lying. Christianity is useless. It is literally futile. It is completely, it is a failing effort. There's no point to it whatsoever. We're powerless. If you're right and Jesus didn't rise from the dead and there's no resurrection, we're powerless against, against sin. We're still stuck in our sin. We can do nothing about death. Um, Christians are pathetic losers with this false, I mean, of all men should be pitied, he says. Jesus didn't rise from the dead. Christians are pathetic losers with this false imaginary hope of forgiveness and eternal life. People should feel sorry for them. And, and ultimately, I think you get from this passage that if Jesus did not rise from the dead, life is utterly meaningless. Um, people who are asleep, people who have, dead, have died are just lost. They're just gone forever. And this is the inescapable reality of the purely materialistic worldview, that life is absurd and meaningless, and in the end, 10,000 years from now, 100,000 years from now, a million years from now, none of this will matter. None of this will have any significance at all. Literally, nothing matters in the end if the materialistic worldview is correct, like some in Corinth were, um, were wanting to believe. Okay, let's keep going here. So, um, and I hope you're paying attention enough to know I'm not saying those things. I'm saying Paul is making that argument that if the resurrection were not true, those things are the case. So if you zoned out for a minute and then zone back in, um, don't do that because you're not going to understand anything. Um, and you will have a sad life. Um, okay. Uh, verse 20 here. Okay. We're going to go from 20 through 28. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, 
So in Christ, all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. It sounds a little bit familiar, doesn't it? What we've been reading the last few weeks. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything has been put under him, it is clear that this does not include God himself, who puts everything under Christ. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. Um, So Jesus is the first fruits. He's the first of those who are raised from the dead. This is why it's so essential when we think of our future in Christ, we look back to to our future hope. We look back to what Jesus has done. He is the first. And according to 1 Corinthians 15, when he comes, when Jesus returns on this ultimate, capital D, day of the Lord, those who belong to him will also rise from the dead. We, as those who have died in Christ, are going to experience what Jesus experienced when the Spirit of God rose him from the dead. I don't know what that's like. I can't imagine what that's like, but I know it's incredible. I know it's awesome. I know it's glorious. Um, And that is what the dead in Christ will experience one day. This is his promise. There's this theme in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28, that ultimately God is restoring all of creation, particularly men and women. He's restoring creation from the curse. Um, What was God's warning to Adam in the garden? Don't eat the fruit from the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, for if you do, if you do, sure, yeah, surely you will die. Death came as a result of sin. Death is not okay. It's not good. It's not some just wonderful thing that is beautiful and circle of life and all those things. Um, it's a terrible, tragic, horrific thing. Not meant to be part of God's creation. And you see this narrative all through the scriptures of God bringing about a plan to redeem mankind from the, the curse. Um, and we'll read a little bit more about that next week. He's undoing the curse Jesus is going to destroy this ultimate effect of the curse, which is death. He is going to destroy death when he returns. Um, it's awesome. It's absolutely awesome. Okay, let's keep, keep rolling here because we're going to go through this whole chapter. Okay. Um, verse 29. Uh, I'll, I'll go through 34 here. <clears throat> And if you're scratching your head at verse 29, we'll we'll talk about it for a second once we go through this section. 
Now, if there's no resurrection from the, from the dead, or I'm sorry, I'm just accidentally adding words to the Bible. Um, not, a, not a good idea. Now, if there's no resurrection, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people being baptized for them? And as for us, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord, if I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Yikes. Ouch. Um, first of all, Paul and his ministry is fighting wild beasts in Ephesus. Um, that's pretty awesome. Why has there not been a good movie made about the life of the Apostle Paul? I mean, that is absolutely ridiculous. What? I don't know. I don't know what you said. You can tell me later. It sounded good, but I couldn't hear it enough. Is there a movie? Oh, come, did someone say coming soon? Oh, there's a movie? Oh, so, Oh wow! Okay, um, that's exciting. Yeah, I. <clears throat> Which character does Kirk Cameron play in that movie? <clears throat> um, all right, back to baptism for the dead. Um. Who here has been baptized for the dead? No, don't raise your hand because it's not something we do. Um, uh, yeah, this is just a really random verse that people skip over and are like, wait, what? What is Paul talking about there? And I, I don't know for sure. You know, there's some different, different takes on it. But it seems to me, Paul, first of all, he's not advocating baptism for the dead. He's not saying, I command you, therefore, as a result of these things, go and be baptized for all your dead relatives, um, have some crazy, light some incense, have a ceremony, you know, do all the, do all the stuff. He's, he's not saying that. He's saying to the Corinthians, you guys, you don't even believe in the resurrection, but you're getting baptized for the dead? Like, your, your thinking is just foolish. Like, your own worldview does not make sense. Uh, these things don't fit together. And then he talks about himself. Why would I do what I'm doing? You guys are getting baptized for the dead. That makes no sense if there's no, no resurrection. It's just absurd. Why would I do what I'm doing if there's no resurrection? It would be absurd. If there's no resurrection, I'm going to just enjoy my life. My life is really difficult right now. I literally am fighting wild beasts in order to proclaim the gospel to these different peoples and cities. I'm not going to deal with that hassle if when I die, we're all just dead. I'm going to just party it up and have a good time. And that is what makes sense on the materialistic worldview. In so many ways, that is what makes sense. Um, so I think Paul is, he is pointing out um, some inconsistencies in their worldview and, and not saying that you should be baptized for the dead. He's not really saying anything about that. He's just telling them they're huge idiots, basically. Um, okay. Um, 
you know, I'm going to say one other thing there. I think when you start to move away from confidence in the bodily resurrection of Jesus in this future resurrection of the dead, you do begin to come up with some just strange ideas and you develop a worldview that just doesn't fit together well. There are huge inconsistencies. And I would say there is a, I don't know that it's a trend that really is gaining, I'm not sure that it's really gaining steam within the church. Culturally, there certainly is a trend of teachers out there and keep in mind, to teach now, um, you, don't, you don't really have to battle in the trenches, improve your character over time. You just post some things online, start a blog. Um, it's not that difficult. And if you're a good writer, you, know, you may get a following. And... I think as a result of this information, in some ways, this information overload, the ease at which many have become teachers, there are those out there in the Christian worldview, attaching Christian in some way to their name, that begin to proclaim just wishy-washy things about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And when you start to get wishy-washy about the resurrection, you just get into a really weird place. And so I, I just want to encourage you guys, you know, not, not all of you are going to be at Awaken forever. We're going to be planting churches. You're going to move, whatever. This, this group is going to be, is going to go in different directions, many in this, in this room. I hope we all get to be together for a really long time. Um, but it's possible that we won't, you know, all of us. Um, so you may find yourself in a position in the future where you're evaluating a ministry or a church, maybe the number one thing, how do people talk about Jesus? How do people talk about the resurrection? If there is like a hint of wishy-washiness about the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, then you probably should find another place. Um, just a little, yeah, quick, quick tip there. Um, okay, let's keep rolling. Someone will ask, so verse 35 here, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives its own body. Not all flesh is the same. People have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. And star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. 
The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man is of heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the earthly man, so shall we bear the image of the heavenly man. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, you know what, actually, I'm going to, I'm going to stop there um, for a moment in, the, in verse 40, 49. Okay, so going back to the beginning of that section, Paul's starting to address specific objections. Um, how are the dead raised? What kind of, with what kind of body will they come? I just picture someone saying this in like a really annoying voice, like highly, highly annoying. I think Paul felt that way. He was annoyed by it, clearly. Um, And if you remember in Matthew 22, Jesus is having a very similar conversation with the Sadducees. They didn't believe in the resurrection. And so they asked him these questions, trying to trap him. I mean, they thought they were so smart. Well, what about someone who gets married and their husband dies and they marry his brother and he dies and this keeps happening? What about that, Jesus? And Jesus' response is, you guys are idiots. I mean, seriously, you know nothing. You literally know nothing. Like, people aren't going to be married and given in marriage at the, at the end of the day. Um, and he, he goes on. And you just get a very similar vibe, I think, from Paul's response here. You guys are asking these questions and making these objections you think are so good. Um, how foolish. You guys are morons. Serious? Have you not even thought about this for one second? So the, the, the Corinthians were confused. What kind of body will, will people be raised with? Um, and Paul begins to describe the kind of body they're going to be raised with. Um, we will not be the same as we are now. When Jesus comes back and raises the dead in Christ, we, we are... So... If you're 20 years old, for some of you, this might scare you. This is, it's as, this is as good as it gets. 20 years from now, you're going to look back and think, like, man, my body when I was 20, it just was, it was tight, it was fit, I could do anything. Um, and so if, you don't, if you're 20 and you don't feel that way now, then I worry for you. Um, <laughs> anyways, though, the point is... When we're resurrected from the dead, it's not like we're just going to go back to our youthful state. Like we're just going to be in shape. We're going to be able to like run a 4-3-40. It is going to be much better than that. And there's a a mystery here. We don't understand exactly what this is going to be like. Um, But we know we're sown in weakness. We die. We're physically weak. We're subject to physical violence and decay in our own bodies, uh, but we will be raised in glory. And the spiritual body here is not a, it's not an ethereal, floating around spirit, as I hope that we've made crystal clear the last few weeks. This is not our destiny. This is a body that is empowered by the Holy Spirit in the same way that the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. The Spirit of God will raise those who are dead in Christ from the dead when Jesus returns. And so we can expect, and it's clear from 1 Corinthians 15 and a number of other passages, that when we are raised from the dead, 
it's, we're going to be like Jesus after he was raised from the dead. And Jesus was recognizable. I mean, he looked like a person. He didn't look like some weird alien. He looked like himself. He had the scars in his wrists. Um, but, you know, and he's eating with the disciples. He's interacting with them. Um, but he also could teleport. He's walking through walls. You know, there's some pretty cool stuff going on. Um, so I, I do I think we're going to be able to teleport in the new heavens and the new earth? Um, it seems like it. I don't know. I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, it, it means more than having a six-pack, being raised, imperishable, bodies that are no longer subject to decay. Um, and I think this is where some Christians tend to err, thinking of our eternity as this mystical, spiritual place where there's no real interaction, we're floating around, um, basically like, it, like an, an acid trip. I mean, basically, we're just kind of out of it. We're not clear. You, you are going to be, when, when the dead are raised in Christ, we will be, cle- we will be clear-headed. <laughs> like, we will be able to think clear. We're not going to need a cup of coffee to clear our minds. Our bodies will no longer be subject to decay. Um, we'll have a different kind of flesh than we have right now. But we are going to be physically and mentally clear uh, in a way that is, I think, beyond our wildest expectations. Um, and if you, if you want to imagine what it's going to be like, read the end of the Gospels about what Jesus was like after he rose from the dead. Um, and, and your imagination can start to run wild there, I think, in a, in a good way. Okay, so 50 through 57 here. We're getting, we're getting close. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. And that just simply means we will not all die. There will be believers that are alive when Jesus returns that don't have to die. How awesome is that? And how motivating is that to finish the work of the Great Commission so Jesus can come back already and uh, just finish this all? And if that happens in in our lifetime, that means that believers in Jesus will not need to die. Um, We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... And remember that verbiage, that last trumpet verbiage. We've seen it twice now in 1 Thessalonians and in the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24. We're talking about the same events. We're using the same verbiage. The trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. Those who are alive will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, in the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those in Christ will one day be made imperishable. I mean, right now we have an expiration date, every single one of us. Um, 
This will be no more. When Jesus returns, death will be done. Death will be over. There will be victory over sin once and for all. We will not be subject to sin. We will not have this inescapable propensity to sin with these sinful natures we have. It's, it's over the course of a lifetime, it's beyond our ability to control ourselves and to live a righteous life. No one's ever done it but Jesus Christ. And no one ever will. Yet when Jesus returns, we will not be subject to that sinful nature anymore. We will be made imperishable. We'll be cleansed of our sinful nature. Jesus will have the ultimate victory. And so the application here is right in the passage. Verse 58. uh, Yeah, verse 58. Therefore, because of all these things, because of the reality of Jesus' return, his resurrection of the dead, in the way those in Christ who are still alive will be changed together with those resurrected from the dead, all together will be changed. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. There are so many voices so many voices, so many temptations, so many false teachers out there. This is not, it's not new, the Corinthians were experiencing. I mean, people literally saying like, oh yeah, the flesh, it doesn't, it doesn't even matter. You can do whatever you, sleep with prostitutes all day. Who cares, that's great. It's your body, it doesn't even matter. I mean, it's not like we have this completely new challenge today. Um, but there are, and have been so many voices. And personally, I've known so many who were walking with Christ and they've fallen away. There's going to be a day when the fruit of Christianity, how fun it is to be in community, like it it is better to live as a Christian. It is more enjoyable. There's also suffering that comes with that. But there will be a day when that enjoyment is not enough to sustain your faith. When this church is not enough, when a pastor is not enough, when your friends are not enough, when your family is not enough. There will be a day when the fruit of Christianity is not enough. There will be a day when the principles and the teachings are not enough. They're just not enough for you to stand firm And it's so heartbreaking to think back on those who I've walked with and served with and prayed with who have rejected Christ and abandoned their faith, thrown it away. There will be a day in your life, and for many, you face this day already, where only Jesus Christ, the person of Jesus, his death and his resurrection, he alone will be enough Jesus alone and what he's done. There's a podcast I listen to called Reasonable Faith by a guy named William Lane Craig. He's like a robot, analytical philosopher. I I really like him. He's, I think, an incredible Christian apologist, philosopher, um, theologian. Um, And he does this podcast with this guy named Kevin Harris. Kevin's like the normal person translating. Like, Kevin's basically the guy who makes William Lane Craig sound dumb enough for the rest of us. 
Because he'll use all these words. I don't know what he's talking about. And Kevin, Kevin's a really smart guy. He sounds like an idiot compared to William Lane Craig. That's why he's on this podcast. And so I, I just heard him many times over the last few years. And um, anyways, Kevin, uh, he's got teenage kids and uh, was so saddened to hear him. Uh, this was maybe a couple years ago. His 18-year-old son <laughs> died tragically in a motorcycle accident suddenly. And, um, yeah, just so heartbreaking. Listen, they, they, they did a podcast um, some months after it happened where he told the story and, and really shared, honestly, what he was going through. Uh, it's quite beautiful. I think for those of you who are, are grieving, I would recommend looking that up, Kevin Harris and the Reasonable Faith podcast. Anyways, I was so struck by this quote that I, I wrote it down, and I've remembered this. This was a couple years ago. I've not forgotten this. Um, so I wrote it down to share with you guys. <clears throat> Just in the midst of suffering and difficulty, what very, very few of us can imagine, and some can here, <clears throat> he says, I found myself falling through every cliche I had ever heard or uttered. I found myself falling through my favorite scriptures and them shattering as I fell. And I found myself falling through all my philosophy and through everything in a free fall. But I find myself landing on my back <clears throat> on a two and a half to three ton stone that was rolled away from the tomb and laying there on that hope. This is our hope. We stand firm because of the person of Jesus Christ and what he has done. And that 2,000 years ago, he left the tomb victorious over death. He alone has conquered death. He alone gives us hope. Do not ever compromise this in your mind or in your theology. Jesus' physical bodily resurrection from the dead. Be as firm as you can possibly be on this historical fact that has transformed the world. Be convinced of it. Because when your body, your church, your philosophy, your pastor, or your hopes and your dreams fail, this heavy stone that was rolled away so that Jesus could walk out of that tomb victorious will be the rock on which your life and your faith stands. Um, this is what we have. Our lives are lived in light of the empty tomb. And we are looking forward to what Jesus is going to do. He has been faithful to his promise. He has been faithful in the past to do the impossible. He will be faithful in the future. It goes on to say, always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. In verse 58, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Because Jesus rose from the dead and he's going to raise the dead. All of this matters so much. Because of this one thing, your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is the foundation for surrendering our lives to Jesus. And we can never graduate from it. We can never move on from it. I am so much more excited about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead today than I was as a 15-year-old as I was beginning to follow Jesus. This does not get stale. It does not get old. And man, when my body starts to break down even more, a lot more, I know there is this hope in the resurrection, just like Jesus rose from the dead. He's coming back. He's going to change all those who believe to be imperishable, to be immortal, and he's going to raise the dead. This is our hope. Um, so just in summary here, believe in the resurrection. 
believe in the resurrection. Look forward to the resurrection, the future resurrection. Don't be swept away by some false teaching. And uh, worship team, you guys can come up. Don't be swept away by someone who's wishy-washy, who sounds real intelligent and um, knows how to use them fancy words, but is not solid on the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ as the rock of our hope. Do not be swept away by people such as those. There's a lot of those voices out there, and there's way too many Christians listening to those voices. And lastly, serve the Lord in light of the resurrection. How about this Easter? We just smack the Easter bunny in the face and really focus on spreading the word that Jesus has been victorious over death, that Jesus has risen from the grave, and that he's coming back to do the same for all those, all those who trust in him. Um, What an awesome time of year that we're coming into is we have one more work week in this series, but um, what an awesome thing that we're going to move right into Easter, this time of celebrating this incredible event that happened when Jesus rose from the dead. So let's be people who stand on it and proclaim it. Amen. Amen. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much. God, that you, um, Lord, you have given us not some cliche, um, pat answer, God, so that we can trick ourselves into surviving this life. You have conquered sin and death. You have risen from the dead. Lord, and you have given us ultimate hope, God, and I pray that for every single one of us, we would be truly confident that we would build our lives in the fact that Jesus has risen from the dead and he's coming back to raise the dead, Lord. Give us just a thrill in that, a joy in that, an excitement in that. Help us learn how to look forward to that and to live our lives in light of it, Lord. Help us to proclaim it, Lord. Even this week, I pray that, Lord, you'd give us as a church, as individuals, opportunities to have gospel conversations and just bring those conversations back to the person of Jesus Christ, back to who he is, and back to his victory over death. God, uh, make that a reality for us, Lord. We pray. We give our lives to you, Lord. We surrender to you, and we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.